Midtown Detroit studios of WDET. This is Detroit Today. It's been viewed over 14 million times. I'll talk with State Senator Mallory McMorrow about her viral floor speech last week, hitting back against Republican attacks and what it means to be an ally in 2022. Then we'll talk about the state of the Republican Party in Michigan in the wake of their statewide endorsement convention over the weekend, which saw Trump-backed candidates win big. That's next on Detroit Today, right after the news. Today on 1019 WDET, I'm Jake Neer, sitting in for Stephen Henderson today. Thank you so much for joining us. A little later in the show, we're going to talk about the Michigan Republican Party's statewide endorsement convention over the weekend, what it says about Donald Trump's hold on the party in 2022. I'll talk with Public Radio's senior state capitol correspondent, my former boss, Rick Pluta, But first, a viral state Senate floor speech last week now has the nation and the world talking about how to counter flagrant and slanderous right-wing attacks, as well as what it means to be an ally in 2022. State Senator Mallory McMorrow was responding to a fundraising email sent by her Republican colleague Lana Tice that baselessly and frankly outrageously accused Democrats of wanting to groom and sexualize children. McMorrow's response has now been viewed more than 14 million times. Here's a piece of that speech. Who am I? I am a straight, white, Christian, married, suburban mom who knows that the very notion that learning about slavery or redlining or systemic racism somehow means that children are being taught to feel bad or hate themselves because they are white is absolute nonsense. No child alive today is responsible for slavery. No one in this room is responsible for slavery. But each and every single one of us bears responsibility for writing the next chapter of history. Each and every single one of us decides what happens next and how we respond to history and the world around us. State Senator Mallory McMorrow is a Democrat from Royal Oak, representing Michigan's 13th district. Senator McMorrow, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thanks, Jake. So you tweeted on Saturday, before we get into sort of the meat of the speech, you you said that you spoke with President Biden about your speech. What was your reaction to getting a call from the president and, and what was said in that conversation? I, I did, and certainly not the uh, the week that I thought I was going to be having <laughs> last week to get a, a call from the president. But he um, he actually called me twice, uh, and I missed it the first time <laughs> because I was reading to my daughter and putting her to bed. So that's a, a story I'm going to hold over her head for the rest of her life is that she was more important than the president. But um, <laughs> it, it was, you know, he he just said thank you, and and without divulging too much of a personal conversation said that you know he, he's been doing this a lot longer than I have um, and has never seen it this bad where you know flinging hateful un- untruthful comments with no idea of the consequences is just accepted as normal 
you just look down at your phone and see miss call Joe Biden, right? <laughs> exactly. That's exactly what comes up. <laughs> Uh, I wanted. To, I do want to talk a little bit about your speech. At its core, this speech was about allyship and and what is that's all about in 2022. Um, it was about allyship in the face of scapegoating as well. I, I want to know what you're sort of thinking in terms of what you see as it meaning to be an ally to marginalized people, especially at this moment. Yeah, and it was it was me sitting for a day in how horrible it felt. When when Lana Tice sent out the email accusing me directly of wanting to groom and sexualize kindergartners, which is just such a disgusting, vile thing to say about another mother, you know, and, and I just I, I really tried to digest how bad that felt and then how much harder that has to be if that is something that is lobbed at you every single day just because you happen to be gay or trans or, you know, defending your, your very right to exist and felt like I, I, I had to hit back. So in this moment where we're seeing whether it's attacks on claims of critical race theory or teachings of slavery or um, like Florida's don't say gay bill and targeting the LGBTQ community, people need us to stand up and fight for them, especially people who are not members of the marginalized community. I know we're, we're all worn out over the past few years. I certainly am. But it's just going to keep going unless there are consequences. I think the tricky thing here is often how you step into a space that isn't necessarily yours, right? How should people think about that issue if they see themselves as allies? And, and I think about that a lot. So the night before uh, I, I was figuring out what to write and what to say, I talked to you know friends and colleagues in the LGBTQ community because I wanted to make sure that I was stepping in in a respectful way, in the right way that wasn't turning it into my issue, um, but really reclaiming my own identity and saying that it's going to require people like me um, to step into this space. So, you know, I feel like too often in the fear of saying the wrong thing, those of us who need to be saying something aren't saying anything at all. And I'm certainly guilty of that. And we have to get uncomfortable and practice. And if you have questions, ask people. I think that the feedback that I've gotten is so many people just saying, thank you for standing up for them. And, and people are going to appreciate if you do. And if you're concerned about it, ask somebody. So as we know, millions of people have seen the speech at this point. Uh, last time I checked, it was 14.5 million people. Um, I'm wondering what you hope comes next. What kind of action or reaction are you hoping for for everyone who has seen this uh, video and responds positively to it? My, my hope is that everybody takes action. It's not going to be enough to watch a speech. This is something my mom said this week is if everybody watches your speech, it's not going to matter unless a lot more people stand up and do what you did. And we're seeing that play out. You know, the, the speech started taking off. And then we saw another uh, email from Tom Barrett, who's running for Congress against Alyssa Slotkin. That was, a, you know, a just horrible trick email that said, your child has been assigned gender reassignment surgery. Click here for appointment details. And the click went to his fundraising page. And it, it is getting worse and worse. We saw what played out with the GOP nominating convention, which I know you're talking about uh, today on the show as well. And it didn't stop with one speech. So all of us, if you saw the speech, if you liked it, if you <laughs> thought that it was the right thing to do, you're the next person who needs to stand up and do the same thing. 
this is what kind of concerns me as someone who's been following state politics for a very long time and has sat in the Capitol covering sessions and things like that. Someone like Tom Barrett, I'm thinking about uh, getting to know him when he was in the state house, someone who was able to work across party lines at times, uh, someone who seemed to be, um, you know, very open to trying to to uh, view his job in a in a way that was was above the fray at times, at least. And and now seeing it's it's been years now. It's not just this one thing, but someone like like him. And I'm not trying to just single him out because it's not just him. But um, it's a good example of the extremes in the party pushing people who previously uh, were were serious about getting things done and and not scapegoating and things like that to these extremes to the point where it's it's just it's it spins my my head around personally. Uh, to to see this kind of rhetoric coming from even people that that like that, it, it's true, and it just feels at this point like a competition for who can say the worst thing, and it, it's it's saying things without any thought to the consequence. But there are very real consequences. This type of language about grooming and pedophilia is the exact thing that led a gunman to barge into Comet Ping Pong Pizza Place in D.C. and open fire, thinking that there were children there captured in a basement that didn't even exist being held by pedophiles. So, you know, it is beyond the pale that this is the strategy, but it's the strategy by everybody. And and it's, you know, Trump and Trumpism and the Michigan GOP as a party has adopted this strategy. The National Party has adopted this as a strategy. And it has very, very real world consequences on people who are marginalized and people who are painted to be one of them. You're listening to Detroit Today. I'm Jake Neer, sitting in for Stephen Henderson today. I'm talking with Michigan State Senator Mallory McMorrow, a Democrat from Royal Oak, representing Michigan's 13th State Senate District. Of course, we're talking about Senator McMorrow's viral floor speech this past week, uh, which has been getting so much attention nationally and internationally. And Senator McMorrow, um, one of the most powerful reactions to your speech, I think, has been about combating this increasingly sort of, as, as I've been saying, slanderous and flagrant Republican rhetoric. Um, my colleague Russ McNamara asked you about this last week. And for listeners, if you haven't heard that conversation, it's really great. Go to WDET.org and check that out. Um, but I, I wanted to ask you about something that Russ brought up as well in that conversation. Uh, Michelle Obama famously said, when they go low, we go high. Since then, I think that it's been interpreted to mean Essentially, when they go low, we lie down. Um, I want to get your thoughts about what going high means, especially in this case, uh, because I think that's kind of what you were doing uh, in this speech. It's just that, that uh, it's doing that in a way that takes on this extremism and the scapegoating directly, though, which is uh, different from how we've thought about this issue recently. Absolutely. And I I think that what I really tried to do was be respectful, but be aggressive and hit back and call hate what it is. But it wasn't getting into mudslinging. You know, originally, when when I was thinking about what to say, I was thinking about kind of hypocrisy and things that have happened in the Republican Party and other people who have, who have done 
quite literal grooming and and realizing that is not going to elevate this issue that is not going to combat it that is going to keep it in the sandbox Mm. and we have to get out of that um so I, i think that my hope was to go high but to hit back and i i think we have maybe misinterpreted the idea that going high means that you just ignore it or you don't give hate air but we have to or it keeps growing you also mentioned that in the response to this, that for one thing, um, and, and maybe you, maybe we should talk about this a little bit, how positive uh, the response has been. Uh, I know that your office is overwhelmed with uh, emails and, and people reaching out. Um, but I, I also know that, that in sort of the wake of this entire week, um, that you've said that it a lot of the times that it makes – just doing your regular job in Lansing really difficult. Uh, so I wanted, I know you've been talking on, on national outlets and everything uh, for the past week or so now uh, about this issue specifically, but I also want to give you a chance to talk about some of the other work that you're doing, some of the other legislation or issues that you're particularly focused on right now. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I pointed that out. You know, I had, we got a call to our office from a lobbyist who was working on an issue about um, expanding uh, programs for training within community colleges, which is something that is great, you know, something that I support and want to move forward with and, and texted my chief of staff and said, hey, you know, where is your boss on this bill? Do you have any feedback? And just the response was, we are grappling with dealing with being accused of grooming and sexualizing children. I can't think about this bill right now. And that's the reality, I think, for, for a lot of people in this space is this is not only just hateful and horrible language, it disrupts the business of running the state of Michigan, of putting forward programs like this. You know, so I have been working on legislation to expand access to electric vehicle chargers. I have been working on uh, trying to put together a pilot program, potentially here in Oakland County, uh, to create a subsidized paid leave program so that small businesses have an incentive to offer paid leave. And a lot of that work is just ground to a halt when things like this happen. So I've been really pushing people in the lobby corps, people who you know donate to candidates to say, it's not just a matter of who's in the majority and who's not. It is grinding the business of working for 10 million people in the state to a halt. And it's a particularly important time right now. I know that, that I, I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, that you uh, don't sit on any of the budget subcommittees, but I know that the budget is sort of in full swing right now in Lansing. This is the maybe the, the most sort of significant piece of legislation that comes through the Capitol every single year. And it seems like uh, in the midst of an election year of sort of uh, chaos within uh, especially the Republican Party right now, and then these sorts of events uh, that, you know, the, the concentration, it's got to be difficult to sort of make sure that uh, all of the, the minutiae and the fine points that need to be put on something as important and impactful as, as the budget or other legislation, uh, it, again, it makes it a little bit more difficult. Absolutely. And, and you're right. I don't serve on the appropriations committees, but we keep you know a running list in my office of our priorities and we work with all of our municipalities and stakeholders to make sure we are constantly advocating for the things that we feel need to get into the budget on behalf of, of our constituents. And it is, it, it's such a, again, distraction when we can't even focus on that. And I've been talking to, to people now <laughs> about what does this mean for Democrats and strategy? And, and beyond that, I think this says 
there's a lot of good that Democrats and frankly Republicans too. We've worked on the budget on a very bipartisan basis and for the four years that I've been in office. Um, but it makes it hard for people to even notice the work that comes out. You're not going to notice, you know, if your street is being fixed, if you're constantly being pummeled with this moral panic, the house is on fire, just vitriolic garbage. So I think that's why it's so important that we just have to shut this down so we can get back to debating how we spend budget dollars and what our priorities are, because that's what actually matters to people. I know you've been getting this question a lot. I do want to make sure that we get it out of the way, which is, um, as as of the last time I heard you speak about this, uh, still no apology from Senator Lana Tice or any Republicans. Um, any update on that? No, still nothing. Mm. Um, as, as you mentioned in the next part of the show, we're going to dig into this past weekend's Republican convention. It seems like on the heels of your floor speech, uh, the GOP is only continuing to embrace Trumpism and more extremist right-wing candidates in statewide races here in Michigan. Um, that I don't think that has anything specifically to do with your floor speech, but uh, it doesn't seem like uh, any, there's any sort of uh, backtracking going on. Uh, right now, you represent a district that's pretty evenly split between Democrats and Republicans. I'm curious, you know, have going around your district, you know, you, you're in a reelection campaign right now. Do you think Republicans in your district, which, again, um, is centered in Royal Oak and many um, seats around sort of the, the um, you know, in, in Oakland County, do you think that Republicans in your district are seeing themselves reflected in the party today? No. I mean, and that's part of how I, I won this seat in the first place. I ran for office for the first time in 2018 and beat a sitting incumbent largely on the heels of sort of the impact of, of Trump and Trumpism, uh, because this is, you know, I represent Mitt Romney's hometown. We yeah. have a, a lot of Republicans who are traditional kind of Oakland County small business owners and, and want balanced budgets and low taxes, but don't want outright hatred and lies and slander. And when I have been talking to people in the district, I've been at a few events in person since the speech went went up. I have had people tell me from all parties saying, I'm a Democrat, I support you, I'm a Republican, and I don't support everything that you stand for, but I 100% support what you said, Libertarian saying the same thing. So so this is not where at least the, the Republicans that I represent are in terms of where they want to see their party go. And I think a lot of them feel lost right now. Michigan State Senator Mallory McMorrow, a Democrat from Royal Oak representing Michigan's 13th State Senate District. Uh, Senator McMorrow, thank you so much for taking the time today. I really appreciate it. Thanks, Jake. Okay, coming up, we'll talk about the state of the Republican Party in Michigan after its endorsement convention over the weekend that saw Trump-backed candidates win big along with a side of a bit of confusion and chaos. Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Jake Neer in for Stephen Henderson today. Thanks so much for joining us. It was one of the biggest events of the midterm election cycle for Michigan Republicans on Saturday. The state party held its endorsement convention in Grand Rapids. 
Although it's not yet official, the convention all but locks in which candidates the GOP will put up in November for attorney general, secretary of state, and other statewide positions. And going into this weekend, the convention was seen as a key test of Donald Trump's hold on Republican Party party politics in Michigan. Would Republicans endorse what have, up to this point at least, represented the establishment of the party? Or would it continue to move farther to the extreme political right and select candidates with the Trump seal of approval? Well, the answer seems to resoundingly reflect the latter of those two options. Here to talk about it is someone who's been covering state politics for over 30 years and who was at the convention this weekend, Michigan Public Radio Network senior state capital correspondent Rick Pluta. Rick, great to have you back here on Detroit Today. And I would also point out former Jake Near partner at the Capitol. <laughs> well, that's that's one way to put it, boss. Uh, but I appreciate it. Um, so, you know, I, I got to see this unfold on Twitter, which is not always the most, um, you know, the most uh, uh, clear way to see what was going on. But give it's us a sense, <laughs> right? Give us a sense of uh, sort of the atmosphere in Grand Rapids this weekend. Uh, no matter how weird it seemed on Twitter and other coverage, it was weirder. <laughs> um, that uh, uh, you know that that uh, you know. It, it was a typical convention, you know, times 10, that it was raucous and people were yelling and there were noise makers and, and you know, things like that. But the big question was what was going to uh, happen in, um, you know, these these major statewide races that, unlike the uh, gubernatorial nomination, is determined at a convention and not in a statewide primary. And probably the marquee race was um, the one for, uh, attorney general that primarily pitted uh, Tom Leonard, who was the GOP nominee four years ago, and actually came pretty close to winning the race against Dana Nessel. And so there were people who were thinking that, well, you know what, um, Joe Biden isn't doing that well, that there is a lot of controversy surrounding things like COVID restrictions, that if we give Tom Leonard another shot, then um, maybe, you know, this could be, you know, this could be the year. But then there was the, um, you know, that that there was, like you said, the, uh, the Trump wing that uh, was behind um blanking name um, Matthew DePerno DePerno Matthew DePerno oh yeah. my god thank you long weekend uh, <laughs> that the 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 Trump wing which by the way i mean we should probably stop saying that this is establishment republicans versus yeah. trump republicans trump republicans are now the republican establishment in michigan it certainly feels that way especially mm-hmm. after this past weekend yeah uh, yeah. Yeah. And so, um, you know, there was some, you know, people saying that, you know, that that, that Tom Leonard, you know, given another chance could actually uh, uh, do the job. And Republicans said, no, we're, you know, we are a Trump party and we are going to go with the Trump backed candidate who fought the, you know, the, the uh, certifying the results of the uh, Michigan presidential election. And we're just uh, we're just all in. And to to sort of either further summarize the thinking behind uh, why a lot of 
I guess not saying establishment now is is difficult. How about um, you know more moderate Republicans uh, were were saying about him? I mean, he really outperformed, even though he lost uh, a couple of years back. Uh, he four years back. Uh, he he outperformed Republicans in the state in, in statewide uh, yeah. in, uh, races, which which you know that's why I think a lot of people were saying, well, let's think about this midterm and how much difficulty Democrats are likely to have simply because they control the. White House and typically don't do great in midterms when that's the case. Um, mm-hmm. You know, maybe yeah. maybe he has a real shot, but now it seems like that's just uh, not not going to happen. And 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 a lot of controversy to uh, you know to work with. And mm-hmm. you know now they've um, selected a slate of candidates, you know, who are very appealing to you know the most dedicated active faction of the Republican Party. Um, but the question is whether or not that they can get people who are sort of center, center right, who are frustrated with COVID restrictions, you know, the the, the school shutdowns that lingered for so long, that are they going to be, you know, ready for a change or, you know, you know, vis-a-vis, you know, Biden and Whitmer, or, you know, are they going to say, you know what, things seem to be improving, Um, you know, let's just uh, stick with what they've got. And the Republicans, for good or for ill, have now made this a more controversial ticket, which is maybe more interesting, but Our voters right now really looking for more interesting, which means more controversial, Um, or are they looking to maybe, you know, settle down after a tough few years? So during the convention, we also saw a lot of journalists posting on Twitter and other social media about the way the the party was was treating you all in in, in this uh, convention. Describe that environment for for media. I mean, what did you experience there, including uh, some press badges that were a little unorthodox? Okay, okay, I'm I'm I'm, I'm leaning over now. I have two badges. One is just <laughs> the classic, um, you know, badge. It's uh, about seven or eight inches by three inches and it's you know red colored because they want to make sure that delegates know that they're talking to a uh, to a reporter but yeah some controversy was stoked at the beginning and reporters were throwing them out and as you know i i, I collect political memorabilia yes. and i was no i'm getting mine <laughs> and this one says i didn't wear it but it does say whitmer protection team yeah and it's got a little like marshall's bed and it says whitmer protection program uh, on it and um um, I it, 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 it's amusing from the Republican perspective, but not the wisest move, especially, you know, when you're handing them out to the people who are coming to cover your convention. So I'm um, just putting it out there. But, you know, it was a first. It was a first. <laughs> well, and, just- and, 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 and they did give us um, tables and chairs to work on, although the um, Internet connection was, uh, you know, was was pretty expensive. Mm. But I can't say that that was the Republicans or if that was just the uh, just the venue. Well, I mean, I think it also sort of is a is is one example of the way that um, it seems like a lot of we've seen, uh, you know, really. Uh, contested conventions in the past, uh, thinking about when Todd Corser ran to become the GOP chair uh, mm-hmm. several years ago, before uh, all the controversy around him. Uh, but but this is this feels slightly different because it just feels like the embrace of this trolling mentality is 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 very 
uh, pertinent there. And, and, and as a member of the media, of course, uh, media is is a target constantly of that trolling. And it seems like that is sort of the mark now of, of how Republicans view these kinds of events and, and their messaging going into the next election. Well, I will say I never felt personally threatened or endangered, you know, unlike some of the, uh, you know, move, you know, some of the uh, uh, gatherings outside the state capitol and, mm. you know, things like that. But uh, yeah, and and look, it is a Republican talking point that, uh, you know, that the media is uh, against them and that the media is biased and that the media is working toward a particular result. I, I would obviously argue that point as would you. Um, and, uh, you know, there is, you know, I mean, you know, Republicans have their own network or you know, conservatives <laughs> have their own network, which, uh, well, I guess they would argue that, you know, they're just going up against the rest of the media and we can mm. just agree to disagree on that. But, um, you know, like I said, I, I, I did not feel particularly endangered and probably no more constrained than at any other political convention, you know, in terms of, you know, access to candidates and, you know, controversial figures like that, that, uh, you know, there was a short availability with media after the convention was over, you know, with uh, the chair, Ron Weiser and the um, endorsed ticket. It was very, very brief. Um, mm -hmm. You know, there wasn't really a lot of room for, um, you know, questions and the opportunity to ask about, you know, all the controversies and things that went wrong, you know, throughout it. But, you know, it had also been a very, very, very long convention. But, you know, uh, I mean, this was not something that at the end of it, you don't want, you know, reporters to be focused on the controversy at the end of any convention. Uh, but this one was particularly contentious. I mean, there were some delegates who were crying at the end yeah. because of how poorly it was handled technically and the, you know, the, the, the results of the slate that was selected that, you know, I mean, they've been showing up and showing, showing up and they felt like their party had ultimately been pulled out from under them. And, you know, that, that the uh, Trump faction had basically, you know, taken over, you know, had really cemented their, you know, had cemented their position and, and, you know, they're right. Yeah, yeah. I want to talk a little bit more about that in in one second, but I want to remind listeners you're listening to Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Jake Neer, in for Stephen Henderson today. I'm talking with Rick Pluta, senior state capital correspondent for the Michigan Public Radio Network. We're talking Sitting about in for Jake Neer. <laughs> um, did I say did I say that? I'm sorry. Uh, sitting no. in for Stephen Henderson today. Um, so I I we are talking about the Michigan uh, GOP's. Sort of well, the convention this past weekend and what it says about uh, President Trump's hold on the Republican Party going into the midterm elections and these statewide elections this year. And we want to hear from you as well. What do you make of the Michigan Republican Party's endorsement of far right candidates who embrace conspiracy theories like the big lie over more moderate Republicans at their state convention this past weekend? What do you think of the GOP's chances in November against incumbent Democrats like Attorney General Dana Nessel or Secretary? 
Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson. And we'd especially love to hear from Republicans this morning. How are you feeling about the state of your party in 2022? Of course, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. Again, that's 313-577-1019. You can also use the hashtag Detroit Today on Twitter. We'll also try to work you in that way as well. And we've already got some uh, some people uh, chiming in at this point on Twitter. Uh, a listener on Twitter says, I never hear Democratic leaders speaking directly to Republican voters from the president on down. They need to be direct and help conservative America understand how they are being misinformed, espousing the lies of the Fox News world that they are not. Uh, that they are not what they are depicted as. That's an interesting comment right there. Uh, I want to go to Terry in Detroit. Terry, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi, good morning, guys. Listen, um, I get that you have to cover their convention, but I, I can just tell you, as a, as a resident of the state of Michigan, I'm sick of hearing about the Republicans. I'm super sick of hearing about Trump. I think a stunt like saying reporters are the Whitmer protection team, you know, it is so immature. And honestly, you know, we're talking about selecting the people that are going to govern our lives, that are going to be making the rules we all have to follow and live by. And this is their level of maturity. Come on now. I mean, they're ridiculous. They're extreme. And, uh, you know, I kind of I a little disagree with the Twitter person who said that the Dems don't speak to Republicans. The Dems have been talking about the fact that all of these conspiracy theories are nonsense. The whole Trump administration was a series of stunts. And it sounds like the Republican convention in Michigan was yet another stunt pulled off by a bunch of immature adults. So, you know, people are talking about this. Some folks just aren't wanting to listen. So. Uh, Terry, yeah, Terry, I really appreciate your, your calling and, and those those points today. I, I, I hear some frustration in your voice about all of this. I will say that, you know, we are talking about this because it's important. I mean, as you said, we're talking about people who there is a chance that they will be running major aspects of state government uh, come next year, possibly. So, I, I you know, I, I hear that. I, I know what you're uh, what you're getting at there. Um, I think this is an important topic, though, and, and we'll continue to cover it. Uh, but we're, we'll, we always try to to cover it in a way that sheds light on what is going on in a productive way, if, if at all possible. And and on that point, and Rick, you touched on this a little bit um, uh, in your last uh, point there. Uh, Gongwer, Michigan reporter Jor- Jordan Hermony tweeted. Quote, former Michigan gubernatorial candidate John Love came up to reporters almost in tears during the convention to say that this convention has been one of the most disorganizing and embarrassing events for the party he's ever seen. He says he threw out his credentials and that the party has no idea what it's doing. She continues by saying that Love eventually did start crying and said, this is a joke. It's an insult to people's time that we put into coming here to do this. Um, She's not the only one, or he's not the only one. Former state GOP chair Laura Cox has also been highly critical of the way the convention was run and and in turn, sort of the entire party, how it's being run. Of course, she lost a battle to continue uh, running the party. She was pushed out. Yeah. That's right. Um, and, and also, uh, Congressman um, uh, Peter Meyer also being very critical of the outcomes of the convention. So what, do you, what should we make of these splits in the Republican Party? These all really illustrate this frustration, even among Republicans, about what's happening. Um, do you think this could turn out to be a problem for the party in the upcoming elections? 
Well, it is a problem for the party in the upcoming elections. And, and, and you know, Democrats are going to deal with a version of it as well, um, just maybe not quite uh, this dramatic. But I mean, a couple of things to, um, you know, maybe keep in mind to, to create some context is, you know, conventions are a small subset of um, the voting public, and it's the most dedicated of dedicated people who go through the effort to become precinct delegates, to go to state conventions, to be selected to be delegates, to make the trek to wherever the convention is happening. And, you know, and, and they become, then they leave, and they're sort of, you know, the foot soldiers that are then going to go out and organize um, the campaign. Um, the technical aspects of way elections work in Michigan is Michigan is a swing state. And so that period where conventions are held through the primary is where you try to do, you know, is what you know the parties call secure the base make sure that they're on board that they're motivated that they're going to work that they're going to donate that they're going you know to just you know get the word out on social media and try and keep the dedication going and then recruit enough swing voters to their side in order to, uh, you know, win the race. And, you know, what they would like to do is win the race, you know, really big, all, you know, all up and down the, uh, up and down the ballot. So, you know, this is really, you know, we talk about a, you know, fight for the soul of a party, you know, that's part of that. That's basically what happened this weekend. And maybe, you know, where they've got to do the work is, you know, now is secure the base and get people excited about this ticket. And, you know, the people, the, the, the John loves the Peter Myers that they're saying, this isn't, you know, this isn't it. These are not candidates who are going to appeal to the centrist voters. And that's what will cost the party in November. It's what, you know, what they're saying. All right, coming up, we are going to continue this conversation about the state of the Republican Party in Michigan after their statewide endorsement convention in Grand Rapids over the weekend. And we want to hear from you. If you're a Republican, how do you feel about the state of your party in 2022? Do you Are you excited about the direction it's going? Do you like what you're seeing out of this convention? Or are you feeling like you're sort of being left without the options that you personally want to have on the ballot in 22. And also for anybody, what do you think of the possible outcomes of the 2022 election? Do you think that Republicans have a good shot against Democrats like Dana Nessel or Jocelyn Benson? Call and tell us what you think at 313-577-1019. Again, that's 313-577-1019. Listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Jake Neer sitting in for Stephen Henderson today. Thank you so much for joining us. We're talking about this past weekend's GOP statewide endorsement convention and sort of what it says about the direction the party is taking, how much Donald Trump still 
has influence over the party, and it certainly seems like quite a bit given the results of this past weekend. And I'm talking with Rick Pluta, senior state capital correspondent for the Michigan Public Radio Network, and we want to hear from you as usual as nor as as you usually would expect. Our number is three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. Again, that's three one three five seven seven one zero one nine. You can also contribute your comments and thoughts by using the hashtag Detroit Today on Twitter, and we will work you in that way as well. And uh, Rick, before we get back to the phones and the caller comments, I want to talk a little bit about how you how confident you think Democrats are heading into these statewide races in November. (laughs) On one hand, um, you know, as we said, this should be a tough year for Democrats nationwide. Just given the fact that the party controls the White House and that that party usually does poorly in the midterms, uh, which has impacts up and down the ballot. That said, I mean, we're talking about candidates on the Democratic side who are incumbents with considerable institutional support. And they're facing challengers in this case with sort of big question marks as to their viability, even within their own party. So, you know, what what should we make of that? Do you think that um, Democrats are feeling uh, good at this? point? Well, if you're, you know, as, as a lot of people have said, um, in a state like Michigan, there are only um, two ways that uh, you should run. And well, one way that you should run, and it's always assume that you're behind. Um, and we should also, you know, point out just getting back to the Republican convention briefly, is that, you know, there were a lot of efforts to portray Democrats as a radical party with, you know, a lot of references to critical race theory, defund the police, you know, gender politics. And, you know, that was all uh, out there as well. So at this particular moment, the polling seems to show um, at least a nominal advantage for, um, you know, for Democrats. But, you know, we've just seen the beginning of the Democratic ticket, you know, take shape, take shape at this endorsement convention. And I, I, I think you mentioned this, but I'm just going to mention it again, that um, this is an endorsement convention. It's not the final word on the nominations. There will be, because that's required by state law, um, another convention in August, just like the Republicans, where the uh, slate will be finalized. It's possible that um, Republicans could turn to a different slate of candidates, but the way that the party rules are set up is that is um, that is extremely, you know, is, is extremely difficult to do. As a uh, practical matter, this is very, very likely what the uh, Republican ticket will look like. There's not the same controversy regarding nominations on the Democratic side because at the top of the ticket, they've got a slate of incumbents in Gretchen Whitmer and Jocelyn Benson and uh, Dana Nessel. So, you know, there's that. But like I said, that right now, there seems to be a nominal advantage for Democrats, according to uh, statewide polling. But, you know, I mean, a a lot could uh, change. And there's a lot of uncertainty there and uh, evolving feelings and opinions about what's supposed to happen as, you know, the state comes out of the pandemic and restarts the economy and people are going back to work and school and thoughts about how COVID was handled and, you know, how the crisis was managed and, you know, what we should be looking at next as we all return to a life where the normal is not going to be the normal that we used to know. 
And before we get too far in, I, I want to make sure that we um, uh, are talking about the people who actually did win during the uh, the endorsement convention this past weekend. We mm-hmm. talked about Matt DiPerno. Uh, you know, he not only has he sort of embraced the big lie in Michigan, he's also actively led sort of the extreme rights charge to challenge the results. Uh, oh, yeah. With a lot of controversy. Also, uh, he's Chris- an attorney who has worked in courts to try and reverse the results of the uh, presidential election in Michigan. Right. And he's running for uh, he, he's the likely uh, nominee for uh, attorney general uh, for secretary of state. Uh, the uh, Republicans selected Christina Caramo. She's a Trump backed candidate. Uh, Jonathan Osting of Bridge, Michigan, tweeted this weekend that, quote, in her podcast, Caramo calls uh, called herself an anti-vaxxer, opposed teaching of evolution in schools like in abortion to human sacrifice and said LGBTQ people and those who have sex outside of marriage, quote, violate God's creative design and are indicative of a culture of sexual brokenness. So we are talking about very extreme candidates here. Uh, it is going to be difficult for this ticket to do the uh, classic tack to the center after um, they're through with the nominating process. Absolutely. So on that note, I want to go to Anthony in southwest Detroit. Anthony, welcome to Detroit Today. Well, hey, good morning. Yeah, you said you said tack to the center. I was thinking, you know, if uh, the moderate kind of Republicans you're talking about that maybe they're disillusioned with this direction of the Republican Party, well, if they're going to go anywhere, it'll probably be to the Democratic Party, right? There's nowhere else to go. And well, there so is I'll, someplace else to go, and that's stay home. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, that's an option, too, so... Mm-hmm. Yeah, Anthony, I, I appreciate that. Uh, and it, it's it's a que- I think that is a big question that we've been talking about for years, ever since Donald Trump really became the face of the Republican Party, that, uh, you know, will will there be moderate Republicans that sort of flock to the Democratic Party? And at this point, the, the, it does not seem I mean, there are plenty of disillusioned Republicans, but it seems like uh, more or less uh, I have not. Maybe, Rick, you can correct me if I'm wrong. It doesn't seem like um, that so many of them have gone to Democrats to move the electoral needle. Uh, but uh, I think what it what what the question is, is, is people who are maybe more independent minded, um, who, who don't view themselves as uh, solidly Republican or solidly Democratic, what that means for them this year. Well, most people consider themselves, I, I mean, you know, a majority of people consider themselves independents. They just don't behave that way. Right. That's true. That, you know, that, 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 you know, they, they go largely, um, you know, a, a party line ballot, but, you know, like we just said is they don't have to show up at the polls or fill out an absentee ballot, or if they vote, that doesn't mean that they have to vote in every race or that they have to vote for the Republican or the Democrat in every race that they might you know, decide to, you know, opt for, you know, again, leaving it blank or opt for a third party candidate just to register their dissatisfaction with their choices with the, uh, you know, with the two major parties. And, you know, that's why every party has a GOTV get out the vote operation, Mm -hmm. which is to make sure that their supporters are likely supporters actually get out and vote. And that is considered a critical critical part of, uh, you know, any campaign plan, the candidate and the party level. Yes, yes, absolutely. Uh, We've got a couple more calls sort of along the same lines here. I want to go first to Frank in Livonia. Frank, welcome to Detroit Today. 
Hi, uh, good morning. Um, you know, I, I've been listening, uh, you know, especially to the first segment of the show, and uh, you know, we're you know, people don't really vote on these uh, social cultural issues, and both parties, you know, the far right Republicans, and it's always something we're against this, and those people are that. When um, you know, and, and and here's a you know, kind of like a gift to the Democrats this year here in Michigan. It's like let's eliminate the uh, income tax. The state mm. income tax on wages. Uh, you know, you go for something, you know, you can acknowledge, you know, I heard uh, the state representative uh, talking this morning and I felt her emotions and I, you know, and I, you know, emphasize and agree with that. But, you know, acknowledge that that thing and then quickly move to an economic issue, which people really are going to drive to the poll. They will go out to the polls. Like you said earlier, a lot of people just stay home because there's, you know, they don't hear anything from either party that really concerns them. Mm. You know, these cultural mm-hmm. and social issues are something that, you know, you're not going to change people's minds on those things. Yeah, Frank, they will not be changed by a political party. Frank, I appreciate that. Frank, thank you very much for, for the call. And Frank, uh, referring there to my conversation earlier in the show with State Senator Mallory McMorrow, a Democrat from Royal Oak who has gone viral in this past week. Uh, someone who, who I think is, is, is trying and hoping to talk more about those Kitchen table issues, as you will, uh, Frank. But of course, um, as as we talked about in the in that conversation, it's it's sometimes tough amid the quote unquote culture wars to get some of that across because it gets so much attention. Uh, I also want to go to Aaron. There's also a, there's also a but to that, Jake, which yes. is that um, the people who vote on those social and cultural issues are the most committed voters. Right. And uh, very often those social and cultural issues um, can act as sort of a proxy for things that are seemingly, you know, unrelated, like uh, tax policy. Right. Right. And and, and I, I also should should make the point, too, that I think that um, for a lot of Democrats, especially that uh, it, they, they, that it's not just um, it, it's it's not it's the best way to put this. The idea of allyship, the idea of standing up for marginalized mm-hmm. people, is important, and it's you know that is that is something that um, that I think that many uh, people would say uh, in in the context of that conversation. But thank you, Frank. I really appreciate uh, that point. I want to go to Aaron in Jefferson Chalmers. Aaron, uh, what would you like to say today? Hello. The GOP and the Democratic Party are playing completely different games in the public relations arena. When Republicans make all kinds of outrageous claims saying so-and-so is grooming or this and that, the the Republican Party is controlling the conversation because then Democrats usually, instead of talking about great things they did, why you should vote for me, the Democrats, most of them, feel like they have to spend a lot of time in the airwaves or in the newspaper or online responding, saying, I'm not, or the Republicans are terrible. So the Democrats cannot give people a reason to vote for them. They're busy responding to all these wild allegations. Hmm. Aaron, I I appreciate that, too. That also goes back to my initial conversation with Senator uh, Mallory McMorrow. Um, uh, Rick, I want to get your thoughts. We've got about a minute left here. But, uh, I mean, it's an interesting question because in this case, we kind of see an example where it seems like uh, Democrats kind of got the best of that back and forth. But there is that bigger issue that Aaron's talking about of, you know, uh, you know, when a party is, um, you know, try to sort of flood. Uh, flood the zone, I guess. I don't know if I'm getting into to, to a wrong technical uh, uh, characterization there, but uh, that it does make it difficult. 
that Mallory McMorrow speech was a messaging and fundraising windfall for Democrats and, you know, Republicans, you know, including the, you know, person that it was directed at, Senator Lana Tice, you know, basically tried to jujitsu that and, and are largely failing because, you know, they created and, and you know, Senator Tice created the opportunity, but, uh, and, you know, once you get that entree, then, you know, that does create a lane to message on, you know, other things as well, plus, you know, create a base that you can motivate to, you know, get out on election day and do the, or, you know, vote absentee, or, you know, do the other work to, um, you know, in their neighborhoods and all of that to get voters uh, out to the polls. Mm. So, I mean, that that was not just, a, you know, that was not an inconsequential act, nor was it um, a lost opportunity to message on other issues. Sure. Quite the opposite. Yeah. Rick Pluta, senior state capital correspondent for the Michigan Public Radio Network. Thank you so much. It's always great to, to catch up with you, Rick. Yeah, it's always great to catch up with you, Jake. All right. Tune in tomorrow when we'll talk with an author about why our taxes could be made much easier. This is WDET-FM, Detroit's NPR station, your connection to news, music, and conversation. Thank you so much for listening to Detroit Today.